Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Very focused. Very focused on this idea whether or not Mike Johnson is up to the task. And really, it's a, it's a greater conversation. It's about whether or not Republicans are up to the task. Tony Katz, it's good to be with you. Find everything I do over at TonyKatz.com. Be a part of it. Be a part of what we're growing over there, TonyKatz.com. Being up to the task is a multi-part conversation. We have to ask ourselves whether or not he can do the basic things that a speaker needs to do, like fundraising. And for the people who say that doesn't matter, it matters greatly because you don't win elections without money. We live in 2023. Let us all be grownups. It's more than just screaming, we have to reduce spending. You actually have to go about reducing it. It's more than just saying we need to go after Joe Biden uh, because of this duplicitousness with his son, Hunter Biden, what he knew about the businesses. You actually have to go do it. And certainly, I favor the impeachment inquiry. I favor every part of the impeachment inquiry. I I always have. And not that I think it's going to lead to actual impeachment. Don't confuse issues. I'm talking about playing chess. I'm not talking about clubbing somebody. If you have all of the data, you can go about engaging impeachment. Feel free. If you don't have all of the data, if you don't have it all, if you don't have it in a way that you feel that you can get impeachment done, the very least you should do is be able to share it with America and let them decide because there's a difference between what happens with impeachment and then the possible removal in the Senate and the court of public opinion regarding an election. So you're saying, Tony, that you want this to sway an election. I am saying that there might be information here that should sway an election. Information about the duplicitous nature of the Biden family and money taken, all of a sudden, uh, brother of Joe, Jim Biden, is writing checks through the wife for $40,000 for loan repayment? Stop it. In what, what planet? Does, does this dog hunt, in what way is this conceivable or believable? And now uh, the, the new Speaker of the House has even more to contend with regarding support for Israel, whether or not there's going to be support for Ukraine. And he has given some, uh, I don't even think it's tacit. He has said Ukraine funding is going to come. But how is it going to come? Well, that's going to be part of the conversation. This is not an easy lift. And this is about more than Mike Johnson. This is about the Republican Party and whether or not they can put all of this together in a way to help them in 2024. What is the point of this change in speaker if you're not going to be able to get victory out of it? Because you really didn't like Kevin McCarthy? Allow me to be clear. I don't care who likes Kevin McCarthy or not. It's, it's, it's meaningless. It's meaningless because I'm not an emotional guy. I'm a rational guy. I think you're rational. It is meaningless to whether or not you liked him. What matters is effectiveness. You want to argue that he wasn't effective? Okay, he's not there anymore. Now we're on to Mike Johnson. Now, you can say to me, if Mike Johnson isn't effective, we'll replace him with somebody else. But now you're getting to the idea of showing America that Republicans are not effective. And therefore, they vote in another direction. 
It doesn't exist in a vacuum. So what we are about to see now that that, uh, Mike Johnson is in, this is incredibly important stuff because you have to show that you are effective. And this is a, a really important moment for the political right. The political left has many issues that need to be aggressively discussed. And if you want to argue exploited, I'm down with that. I'm cool with that. I am in for that. Like, for example, the number of Jew haters within that party, the number of, 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 of radicals within that party, the support for Hamas in that party, it is, it is obscene. And they do it now with almost like a, like a sense of pride. They are engaged in this hate with like a sense of, that's right, we're moral and just. This right here took place at the University of Pennsylvania. Listen to this. A friend uh, from back home recently reminded me of something which I would like to share with all of you. Do you guys remember the photo of the kids and men laughing and smiling as they sat on top of the Israeli military jeep captured by our freedom fighters? Yes! Do you remember that picture? Yes! How about the photos of the bulldozer breaking through the deadly border? Do you remember that picture? Yes! And the several other joyful and powerful images which came from the glorious October 7th? Yes! I want you to picture those in your mind. I want you all to remember how you felt when you saw those images and heard the news. I remember feeling so empowered and happy, so confident that victory was near and so tangible. I want all of you to hold that feeling in your hearts. Never let go of it. Channel it through every action you take. Bring it to the streets. Yes! Go down to the streets every day and don't ever let them feel that you quietly accept this genocide. I mean, that's University of Pennsylvania? I'm, I'm supposed to send my kid there? There's no shame in supporting Hamas terrorists. And there's no difference in this student, this grown woman, chanting for death to Jews. What else do you think from the river to the sea means? We've been over this many, many times, but you understand Jordan River, Mediterranean Sea, it's a genocide call. And they do it with joy. There's no difference between her and what Rashida Tlaib is doing. You lie about Israel attacking a hospital. Well, that is, to me, aid and comfort to the enemy. But we don't get censure of Rashida Tlaib for some unknown, ungodly reason that makes no sense whatsoever. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a bit. How Republicans are going to deal with this is a big subject and a big story. 
and one that we're going to dig into, expecting Congresswoman Kat Kamek. Uh, any second, I will bring that to you live. This is Tony Katz today. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Joining me uh, on radio, and you can watch the video over at rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Congresswoman Kat Kamek joins me right now. Uh, it's good to be with you. I know you are filing some bills on the on the House floor. Uh, but I want to, before getting into some of the Israel conversation that exists, so much of this is about whether or not Representative Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, mm-hmm is up to the task of not only helping Republicans win, but fighting back against some real insanity we're seeing on the political left. And the political left has decided to tell me that he is the biggest Christo-fascist who has ever lived in the history of ever, <laughs> Congresswoman. So uh, is Mike Johnson up for this? Oh, well, Tony, um, it's always a pleasure. Uh, but to answer your question as excited as possible. Hell yeah, he is. It is so funny how older liberal left media came out against him, and that's how we knew we were on to something. Just, I mean, every element of his life, his faith, his family, uh, the fact that he is not a, a media a hound dog, you know, running to a camera at every waking moment. They think something's wrong with him. It's it really is quite incredible. But there's one thing that you will hear about Mike Johnson from any member, Republican, Democrat, reporter, staffer, doesn't matter. They will tell you that he's one of the nicest people on Capitol Hill. And it's just a kindness that he has in dealing with people that is very warm and endearing, um, not really found up here on Capitol Hill. And it's also disarming. And to that end, you have somebody who's very thoughtful, strategic, uh, a constitutional conservative. You combine that with that warm type of you know, Southern hospitality. He's from Louisiana. And it can be quite effective. And I think you're going to see Mike Johnson jamming the Senate, jamming the White House, um, because he's a principled conservative, but he's also very disarming in that way that he's going to be effective in ways that we haven't seen before. So I'm, he's up to the task. He's up for the fight. Well, the pushback is already beginning on this $14.5 billion where he wants to take the money out of IRS funding and give that to Israel. This was uh, one of your yeah. colleagues, Democrat from New York, Dan Goldman, responding to that. Well, not the way that the Republicans are doing it, that's for sure. They are trying for the first time ever to condition emergency aid to Israel and, in fact, to any country that we provide emergency aid to uh, on some sort of other offset or requirement. And in this case, and I thought Joe put it so well the other day, it's to protect billionaires. And I know for Republicans, this may seem like a political game, but I can tell you for those of us who are Jewish, in America and around the world, this is no game. This is an existential fight for the existence of Israel. It is odd to me, myself being Jewish, I don't think you have to be Jewish to think it odd, Representative Kamek, uh, that Dan Goldman thinks that uh, Speaker Johnson is playing a game, but it is his party that is lousy with members who are clearly, in my view, supporting Hamas. This is exactly the fight that he's up against, uh, as Speaker Johnson is. How How should he respond? Well, Representative uh, uh, from New York there, bless his heart. Uh, I serve with him on weaponization. And in the South, that's what we would say. Bless his heart. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that the minute that we find a pay for the 
it goes against the political agenda of the left. They have to stomp and scream and, and make it about them. And in fact, when you look at what the 87,000 IRS agents that cost $81 billion, of which we are using a portion of the money to actually pay for the aid to Israel, that right there tells you that they're more interested in making sure that the middle class and working class are getting audited at every turn because that's what those 87,000 IRS agents were designed to do. We know that from the commissioner of the IRS. He even said it in a memo that that's what those people were designed to do. And then, of course, we have the element of the, the Hamas caucus. You have people who are unapologetically pro-Hamas, and they are saying without apology, without remorse, that they think that Israel should be wiped off the, the face of the earth. They're out on the street chanting from the river to the sea. And what does his, what does he have to say about that? Nothing. So it's pretty telling about where we are at here in Congress. We make apologies for standing with Israel, and we're going to do it in a smart way that is, again, an America first policy, not putting the burden on the American taxpayer, but offsetting it with ridiculous programs that should have been included in the first place. Is it about standing with Israel in the House right now, or is it maybe more of a what is it that this administration is doing? This was a, a tweet, a post on X, uh, put out by uh, the vice president, Kamala Harris. Taking on hate is a national priority. Today, POTUS and I are announcing the country's first national strategy to counter Islamophobia. This action is the latest step forward in our work to combat a surge of hate in America. Uh, the hate, if you will, if you believe in hate crimes and follow the, the, the statistics regarding Muslims in America is nothing compared to what is uh, being uh, dealt with by Jews in, in the United States. So it brings the question of where is this administration focus? Is this something that Republicans in the House should be talking about? Well, and I actually have to run and vote really fast um, so I don't miss the vote. Oh, I'm going to miss this vote is what I'm being told. So I have to run. But to the point that you were just making, Tony, 50 percent of uh, hate crimes in this country are against the Jewish people. So that tells you everything that you need to know. Maybe the White House should be focusing on anti-Semitism rather than Islamophobia. Representative so. Kat Kamek, I'm glad you had a couple of minutes. Go vote. Go do the thing. Appreciate you. The focus. The focus that is missing is where we should be. When I asked the question about um, the the uh, whether the speaker is up to the job, uh, these are these are the things. It is a much greater conversation than just a pet project. To be up to being Speaker of the House in today's America is about being able to fight, and fights include very pointed, direct focused conversations for example about the bigotry of this white house i had a conversation yesterday i'm having a cigar i have cigars often this is not shocking to anybody who has ever met me and i already had one today right and they were discussing how they were um pleased with with, with joe biden more than they thought they they would be regarding his statements and his stance uh, regarding Israel. Now, if you go and take a look at Joe Biden's uh, statement there uh, a few days a afterwards, because there was no really, uh, while there, there was a statement, there was no real focus. Um, it was. It was probably the strongest thing I've ever heard the man say. 
uh, certainly as, as president. But then you take a look at his staff. And you take a look at how Corinne Jean-Pierre, when asked about anti-Semitism, pivoted to Islamophobia. And then you take a look at the party, Tlaib, Omar, Ocasio-Cortez, Carson, Bowman, Presley, Jayapal. Pramila Jayapal from Washington State, who heads up uh, the progressive caucus in the House, warned Biden, you better be careful, you're going to lose Muslim votes. Why? Why is this the concern? Are you not worried about losing Jewish votes? Which we should get into a whole conversation about why Jews vote for liberals and how anybody... Anybody can think that this Democratic Party has got your best interests at heart, whether you're Jewish or not, is beyond comprehension. Trump is a mean guy who did some bad things, still better than Joe Biden, at least on this subject, without question. But go back to what I'm saying here. Biden gives this strong statement, but where is the backup? And the answer is there is none. His party is lousy with Jew haters, not anti-Semites, Jew haters. His party is lousy with people who support Hamas. And now it's, it's, it's this, the country's first national strategy to counter Islamophobia. How is this the focus? Should we start by addressing the fact that Islamophobia is a nonsense terminology that has been bandied about since September 11th and in, in to, to any extent has not come to fruition? Has never manifested itself the way it has on the campus of Cornell University, Harvard University, Stanford University, University of Pennsylvania, Columbia University. Shall I go on? Because we could do more than the Ivies. If there was an event on an Ivy League campus talking about Muslims like they're talking about Jews, CNN would hyperventilate and die on the spot. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. MSNBC would be calling for these colleges to be raised and the earth salted. You know it and I know it. So you could argue that Joe Biden gave a strong speech, but you can't argue that it actually provided any value. You can't argue that he believed it. You can't argue that the party isn't an anti-Semitic, Jew-hating party. And it isn't because I say so. It's because they say so. They do so. They show you so. Time and again and again and again and again and in every single way. And their supporters on these college campuses and the professors who build up these kids to be such Jew haters. Every single step of the way they're showing you. And if the Republican Party does not act upon this, expose, share their disgust. And I'm not talking about some little talking point on cable news right to their faces. Interrupt them when they're on CNN. Interrupt them when they're on MSNBC. Your Jew hate is disgusting. Shame on you. And then walk off. You got to fight like they do. Because this isn't just about Jews. If this is what they'll do on this, they will feel emboldened to do it on others. We're watching a worldwide pogrom, a worldwide pogrom against Jews. 
And if we let it go, it's only a matter of time before it is against anybody who doesn't agree with their progressive so-called morality. I'm Tony Katz. The death of Coach Bob Knight. You know, it's funny. For the people in Indiana, you knew it was coming. You knew he wasn't well. Yet, the impact is still the same. And and we'll get more into it in a bit. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Uh, I'm very clear about something. Which is, you know, I'm heading towards 10 years of Hoosier. Um, I'm heading that direction. That will be June. June uh, is is when I moved here ten years ago. So it it's I, I'm I'm nine and a half years a Hoosier. How about that? Well, almost nine and a half years. Just leave me alone. There is no way for me to explain what Bob Knight. IU basketball coach, three national championships. There is no way for me to explain what it is that Bob Knight meant to Indiana in a way that isn't from the outside looking in. I'll never, ever, ever be able to connect in that way. There are things that happen to the country, things that, you know, uh, cultural moments and cultural people where uh, you, you, you're you a part of it. There's no way to really do that here. There's no way to do that with Bob Knight and the impact on the state of Indiana and the idea of identity to the state of Indiana. There, it, just, it just can't be done. You had to have lived it you have had to you had to have experienced it you had to have lived and died by it and and as you hear so many people talk about those years those, those near 30 years it was it was everywhere it was everything it was it was it was near you think they talk a lot about taylor swift <laughs> It was near royalty, if not just full-on royalty, when you talk about Bob Knight and the way people talked about him and the way they engaged the conversations about him. And certainly, those conversations changed over time. And I have no way of connecting with the actual hard feelings that exist. And maybe I should say existed, because I don't know to the extent that they still do, but they might... When uh, when he left, the how he left, or I should say was removed, what came next, the anger, zero. Anything I tried to bring that level of, of connection, I'd be talking out my butt. And if I've learned anything in my time here, which will hopefully be uh, a, a, a lot longer than than just uh, nine and a half years. Uh, is is that you, you you don't do that, you don't try, admit it clearly. 
but it is it, the the outpouring, the emotions right now that people have over uh, the 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 death of of Bob Knight at the age of eighty three when they knew he was ill. They knew that things were not great and weren't great for years uh, for him health-wise. They could see it. Um, it's, it's, it's extraordinary to witness. Absolutely extraordinary to witness. And so we'll get more into, into uh, Bob Knight coming up in a little bit. I also have an update on the whole eye drop insanity. The eye drop insanity, it's like you got to check. You got to see what it is you're putting into your eyes and whether or not it's been recalled and whether or not it could cause blindness. But maybe it's a little different than how it's being reported. Uh, My conversation with Dr. Brad Sutton coming up. In the meantime, there's a presidential race in case you forgot. And uh, Ron DeSantis is trying to remind you that you should vote for him. Well, I think if you look at the unified government under W. Bush and under Trump, Republican unified government, they threw out all the fiscal uh, constraints. That was not something people cared about. Uh, If you talked about it at that time, it was like they didn't want to hear it. The minute Republicans get out of power, then all of a sudden they beat their chest. They become real fiscal hawks when it comes to all of this stuff. Now, part of the reason I think under Bush is because we had the lengthy wars, which were which were clearly mismanaged. And we spent a lot of money that that in hindsight we shouldn't have done. Um, But, you know, I was there for the first two years of the Trump administration. Uh, We you know, there was a faction of us in the in the House that was urging him not to just sign these big omnibus spending bills. But but he signed every spending bill that ever got to his desk, culminating. And, and a big gusher of spending his last year in office, which, of course, ended up adding $7.8 trillion to the debt in one four-year period as a president. Under uh, the four years of Trump, he added almost as much to the debt as Obama did in, in eight years. And so there was no sense of, of fiscal restraint there. Uh, and so I make the point uh, when I'm in Iowa, New Hampshire, that this is both parties. Uh, Republican uh, voters do not believe it's just the Democrats because they've been let down before. And I get a lot of cheers when I point out that it has been both parties. And, you know, you can get it done. Like in Florida, we've paid down 25 percent of the debt since I've been governor. We've run surpluses, cut taxes and all that. But you do have to make some tough decisions. You can't please everyone all the time. And I think that the D.C. Republicans have had short term thinking when it comes to our fiscal situation. Now. We can argue that Democrats spend and Republicans spend slower. We've said it before. I don't think that that's out of the realm of of rational thought. But that whole response from Ron DeSantis took place on Morning Joe on MSNBC. May I ask out loud, who the hell is he talking to? If I didn't play it, you would not have heard it because you're not watching MSNBC. So who is he talking to? People who aren't going to vote anyway? For, for him anyway? Are you telling me that there, there's some level of, of, of independent, moderate viewer who could be swayed? Now, don't get me wrong. You, you, you're running for president. You go on everywhere. You have the conversations. You do so because you're then able to take the clips and share them as you will. And it's part of your ability to campaign. And you can't worry about uh, the people who already hate you. 
So let's get into the actual substance of the thing. Democrats spend and Republicans spend slower. This much is true. That Trump was a spender, that's just factual. Cared about deficits? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Did not care about deficits at all. It's really easy to understand. Does this kind of talk get people motivated? I'm looking at the national polling. I'm looking at the Real Clear Politics average. Trump 59.3, DeSantis 13.4, Haley 8.3. In the last three polls, DeSantis is 17, 12, and 15. Haley is 8, 7, and 8. She's not, she in the last four polls has not hit double digits. She was double digits in the middle of October. In the latest Quinnipiac poll, which I'm looking at right now, you see Trump at 64, DeSantis at 15. Why does that matter? Trend lines matter. Do I believe just one poll? I absolutely do not. But I have stated many times, you can look at an amalgam, right? Look at a totality and get some ideas. This is the DeSantis line from February to November. 36, 32, 33, 25, 23, 25, 18, 12, 15. From 36% support in February to 15% now. Go the other way. Trump in February, 42%. From there, 42 as where he starts, 46, 47, 56, 53, 54, 57, 62, 64. Allow me to ask the question again. Who is Ron DeSantis talking to? And does that kind of talk work? Does it work? By the way, Haley uh, had her best uh, month ever uh, with, with this poll from Quinnipiac at 8%. Tim Scott comes in at 3%. Christie at 3%. Ramaswamy at 3%. Bergam at 1%. Pence, of course, is is now out of uh, this 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 race. Let's not deny reality for a second. If you want to cut into a lead that Trump dominates by fifty points, it's actually forty nine. But you get my point. You have to change how you talk. You have to change your ask. And they haven't. The DeSantis team hasn't changed anything. If you ask me if DeSantis has been excellent regarding the conversation about Israel and getting people back from Israel and actually sending weaponry to Israel, you better believe it. 
I like very, very much what he does. But what he says doesn't connect at all. This is the, 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 this is the numbers. These are the, are the numbers. The Messenger Harris X poll has DeSantis at twelve percent and Trump at sixty two. Fifty point spread. Haley at seven. Ramaswamy at six. Now it's national. Maybe I got to take a look at Iowa. Maybe just take a look at it. Well, nothing has changed in Iowa. The last poll was at the end of October. Trump 43, DeSantis 16. That's Trump plus 27. You want to look at trend lines? Gladly. In mid-September, Trump was plus 31. And the last four, plus 31, plus 30, plus 28, and plus 27. One could argue that's a downward trend. And one could argue, if I am DeSantis, well, this is much better news. And much more usable by me than the national stuff, because all I have to do is do well in Iowa. All I have to do is do well in New Hampshire. Oh, he's in third place in New Hampshire. That USA Today Suffolk poll, and remember, none of these polls are perfect, and none of these polls have the the, the types of of likely voters and, 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 and margins of error. Trump 49, Haley 19, DeSantis 10. Remember, if Haley places in in both Iowa and New Hampshire, she is set up for her home state of South Carolina very, very well. The truth is, if you're DeSantis or Haley, you got to pray upon prayer upon prayer that you can get a win in one of those places, Iowa or New Hampshire. Because if Trump really does take Iowa by what what what, what is the spread now? 31.5 points. That's what he's up in the in the uh, real clear politics average. He takes it by 31. What, is, what are we even discussing here? If he takes Iowa by 31, it's over, Johnny. There is nothing else to discuss. It's over. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Senator Blutarski is not wrong. But it'll be over for Ron DeSantis. Which brings us back to where we started. Why is he having these conversations? Who is this moving the needle for? Maybe there's some internal polling that we don't have access to that shows this is working. And that there's a ground game for DeSantis, that is that is now, uh, that, that wasn't there before, that is somewhat working. And it has the opportunity to chop the wood and build up. Maybe that's what the internal numbers say. Maybe. But I am, I'm waiting for Iowa. I, I, I don't even know what, I, I can't even believe that these polls are real. A guy with four indictments and all of the other issues 30 points, 50 points, admittedly, acts nuts. But I don't know why DeSantis isn't changing a tactic yet. Either they know something we don't, or they know they can't. Because the change of tactic will signal a problem, 
and it's November, and the Iowa caucuses are two months away. You're locked in. All you can do now is hope for the best. Yeah. And then when he does stuff, DeSantis does really good stuff. But my God, this looks like an absolutely horrific campaign. If the numbers are to be trusted. I'm Tony Katz. There'll be no censure of Rashida Tlaib. That's a shame. Then again, I don't want her censured. I want her expelled. But 20 Republicans joined in to say, nope, not going to happen. Also, no expulsion of George Santos, uh, the liar from Long Island, which is weird because it's Long Island and there are a lot of liars. (laughs) What? Seriously, we can't smack around Long Island. Is this where we've come to in America? Of all the places, we can't mock Long Island? By the way, anytime I'm talking about it, the Jersey comes out, the New York comes out at me, it's Long Island. It's one of the very few things where the accent still remains, to the extent that I have any accent at all. Because, I mean, people talk about the fact that I have an East Coast accent. I don't get it. I don't hear it. I think I, I, I think it's very clean. But I cannot say Long Island without focusing on it. It it absolutely comes out Long Island. That's two words. Long, L-O-N, Guyland. G-I-S-L-A-N-D. That's how it's pronounced. And then, you know, how you doing and forget about it. I can do all that. All day. All day. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today.